Oh, good morning. That was nice. Sometimes you teach on a morning at 10.30 and you get a good morning. So thank you for drinking your coffee before you got here. Um, you can laugh more. Like the good morning was better than the first laugh, so I need more laughter in order for us to enjoy the day together. Uh, I did grow up here. I was just reflecting on my life as a member of Highland Christian Church and realized that it was October 26th. 1986, take a deep breath if you were here then, we're all old, um, that I was baptized into Jesus at Highland Christian Church. Crazy that it was uh, just about like 32-ish years ago that I was here in this space, but it wasn't this space. If you were part of the community then, you knew that this building didn't exist and that we were in a smaller building um, just on the same parking lot that had at one point been a barn and then was converted into a church that then had this baptistry in the back. And I remember the day that I knew I needed to be baptized. I had gotten up that morning. I had gotten on the big yellow Twinkie and gone to school, And which you know if you go to Mason County School and you live close to this area, it's a little bit of a drive um, as you're riding the bus to get to school, and on my way to school, there were a couple of guys that were on the school bus that decided to teach me a few uh, nice words that weren't so nice and that wouldn't be okay in my house to say. And so I used that day to practice these words uh, on my friends at school. And then I taught these words to my sister on the bus on the way home. And then my sister got off of the bus and then she ran into the house and said these nice little five-letter words to our mother. If you know my mom, you know how she appreciated that. That as Cindy comes into the house and drops another word for poop um, that starts with an S in front of her mother and my mom goes, where did you learn that? And Cindy, in all of her great protect your brother wisdom, was like, Chris taught me on the bus. And I knew in that moment I was in trouble, but I didn't connect the trouble at first with kind of this grand thing that was happening inside of me. So it was the first time that I could recall actually inviting someone else to do something in rebellion. I probably had, because I'm me, and I do that sometimes. I probably had invited other people to do things that were outside of what maybe God wanted us to do, but that was the first time I can remember going, Oh no, I caused my sister to mess up. I caused her to do something in rebellion of what we believe and what we stand for. And I remember the feeling that overwhelmed me in that moment of going, I didn't just betray mom and dad or Cindy, I actually betrayed God in this. And it was after whatever the physical punishment, it probably involved this thing called the Board of Education um, in our house, that I then had to enact because... My sister and I were walking around the house just dropping cuss words all over the place. Then I came out and said, Mom, I think I need to be baptized. And she called the senior minister of the church at that time, Bruce Heller, and set up a meeting with him. What was very interesting about that meeting is that he comes to sit me down and to walk me through the book of Romans and to talk to me about Jesus and about sin. I'm like, yes, sin, I get it. I do it all the time. I'm, I'm good on that part. What do we do next? There was this young man sitting next to him, and his name was Dave Dameron. And Dave Dameron was coming on that week as the youth minister at... Highland Christian Church. And so Dave is sitting next to me and I'm sitting next to Bruce and we're going through this, this thing 
and I find out about baptism, and then Bruce looks at me and says, who do you want to baptize you? And I say, I want my dad to baptize me. Like, that's the guy that I know that I want getting in the water with me and baptizing me into Jesus. Because if there was anyone that I said followed Jesus in a way that I wanted to reflect, that was him. It was my dad. And so Bruce sets it up, and we come in, and we go down at the invitation. At that point, like, you had these invitations every Sunday morning, and everybody kind of waited on somebody to make a decision. And so I waited for a couple of minutes, and I'm like, okay, this is it. Am I going? Am I going? Okay, I'm going. And so I get out and walk down the aisle, and my dad walks down with me, and we do this confession of faith. And then we go in the back, and we go up the stairs, and we go, and we look in the baptistry. And as we look in the baptistry, I look inside, and I'm like, oh, I forgot. I'm short, shorter than the water. Like, you wouldn't be able to see me. So you just have to trust that I actually, like, I was going under, like, for sure. The question was whether or not, am I coming back up? And I looked that they had put a ladder in the baptistry for me so that the world could know that Chris didn't die under, like, you know, like, he made it back. And so I get in the water, and my dad's standing in the waders, and we do the thing, and it's emotional, and he gets choked up, which never happens, and I get choked up because he's choked up, and I go under the water, and as I come back up, I kick the ladder out. Yeah, there you go, Dad, just a gift for you. And I remember kicking the ladder out, and as I'm coming out of the water, Dad has to lean down and get the ladder. And so the water starts to go in the waders. And as the water's going in the waders, I'm like, I'm so rebaptizing my dad right now. And so he's coming out and just like soaked. And as we're walking out, he's like, he's got like water all down his, like the waders, the point of the waders is to keep his clothes dry, and he ends up as, as like soaked as I am in this moment that happened like 32 years ago here. Crazy part of that story is that then that, that young youth minister guy named, named Dave Dameron then became a mentor for me. Then when I was called into ministry, I interned for him in Xenia, spent the next eight years doing ministry with him. He goes to Atlanta, comes back to Ohio, and now we're doing stuff again. And I lead camps and retreats every year. And for the past two years, his youngest son, Will, has been attending the camps that I lead. So this like generational thing that just happens of as this Will Dameron comes in to be a participant at one of our 121 camps, he and my daughter Sonny are like going through this thing together. Story, right? That's what story does when you tell it. You can start seeing these connections that you didn't know were happening in your life and, and you probably have some reflections on story that you can think back to and go, at that moment we had no idea what God was intertwining and what he was doing, but can you believe 30, 40, 50 years later of what he has done out of this small little moment, a moment where I taught my sister how to cuss, led into a moment that redeemed me forever, that connected my dad and I, that introduced me to a mentor, that over 30 years later I would be doing ministry with both locally and globally. It all happened in a moment out of a mistake. Story. When your story is defined simply by your own seven days in a week, all you'll see is what you can do in seven days in a week. But when your story is defined by a God who can speak things into existence out of nothing in a week, your story gets defined by the God who can speak stuff out of nothing in a week. That's the perspective of Genesis chapter 1. When we talk about the God who created the world in seven days, we're talking about simply the God who created out of nothing. 
the how long it took is really irrelevant. Whether or not it was seven literal days or seven symbolic days or days were longer or we really don't have the sun rising and, and the moon you know, coming up until day four, so how do we know the day? Like, if we want to get into the semantics of how this actually happened, we're actually missing the point. It would be the same thing as looking back and going, well, I wonder if we broke down why Chris cussed in the first place. Doesn't really matter. I did. And it led into a story that was different than what I was writing before that. And so what's interesting is, in Genesis 1, does it matter how many days? He called it seven. I'm good with that. Our week is defined by seven. Probably for a reason. Am I expected to create the same amount of things in a seven-day period that God did? Probably not. I have yet to be able to speak something out into existence that is fully formed with just my mouth. I don't know if you've tried that. The best I've done, it's taken us about nine months to create anything. If it's a home project, it usually takes like twice as long and is twice as expensive. Right? To create things out of nothing doesn't just happen. It takes time, but yet we have this beginning where in Genesis chapter 1, it simply says this, in the beginning God created. Right, in verse 1, in the beginning God created. And I often ask the question, why? Not how, because he says how, how, like he's starting to speak these fully formed things into existence. I'm never going to understand that until I'm with him. It's not really going to make sense how animals are fully formed walking on this earth. I'll never know chicken or egg. It's, I just am not going to figure it out. What I am going to know is that there is a God who chose in the beginning of this story to speak it into existence. And I get to ask the question and you get to ask the question, why? Now, we might not ask the question on this great level that God asked, but we probably do ask the question, why now and why here? Growing up in Maysville, Kentucky, I asked that question a lot. Why was I born in Maysville? Why Kentucky? Why this town? Why this school? Why did some of the things that were happening in my school happen at the time? Why did bulldogs cease to exist and there were only royals while I was here? It happened. We all know it happened. Why did I have the coaches that I had? Why did I have the teachers that I had? Why, why spend so many hours in a tobacco patch? Why? Why did I do that? Why? Why do cows exist? I asked why cows exist a lot as I was standing under one trying to milk that thing. Like I often ask that question. Like, like when you speak all of this into existence, this was the best you could do to provide us dairy. Right, like this, this thing that's going to kick me in the face and do other things in this milk barn right now. Like there were oftentimes I questioned, why is this happening and why? And there were creation questions, right? I'm asking a creation question in the context of my story because I'm not sure right then if this is everything. But the beauty is when Jesus said in the beginning, because he is the word that spoke it into existence, if you look at John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So if the word is speaking everything into existence, Jesus is actually speaking everything into existence. And when he's speaking this story into existence, he's not saying ask questions about why you're here. He's actually saying ask questions about why I want you here. Ask this question. 
Why does God want you here? Because that was not an accident. That was not unintentional. It was not a part of this random choose-your-own-adventure that happened into God's story that he was like, "Uh uh-oh, they showed up, now what do I do? We are the intentional, created beings that the whole story intertwines with God and his story. I'll say that again. We are the intentional, created beings that God intertwines specifically with his story. The way to prove that is to read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Nowhere else in the six days of active creation is there given the words, and God created it, that, this, in his image. The sun does not reflect the image of God. The moon does not reflect the image of God. Trees and grass do not reflect the image of God. The most beautiful of animal that you would see created roaming this earth does not reflect the image of God. Those beach vacations where you look out over the ocean and you see the sun kiss the water as it goes to sleep does not reflect the image of God. It's something better than even that. He says, the only thing that reflects me in all of this creation, the only thing that bears my image, that carries who I am and what I am about, are these humans, people, men and women, boy and girl. Those are the reflected image of the Creator. And it took Him six days of preparing a world that would engage story with Him before He spoke His image into existence. He built the rest first. He painted the tapestry around us and said, here, this is where I want to be a story with you. Will you go with me? And he writes us into existence in Genesis chapter 127 and he gives us his very image and says, on this sixth day, I make what reflects me. That poses a great problem for us. Because in our six days this past week, the question we must ask if we are living in tune with the story of the Creator God would be, in the last six days, how did I reflect Him? Which leads to another question. Do I even know what He looks like? So often in my own story, I am trying to write a story for myself and create an image that I want to look like. You may have done this. As a born in the 1977 to 1983 bridge gap generation, because we have new names now if you were born in that window, like we're the generation that bridges everything. I don't know if I want that weight on me, but so we get to bridge older generations and the millennials. We're in trouble. I remember it being sixth grade and walking to school with my jeans doing this thing called pegging them. I don't know if you pegged your jeans or not, where you would roll them and then you would tightly roll them again. Then you would flip them up and they would just sit right above your ankles and your jeans would have this like V-shaped look. It's come back. But in sixth grade, I was walking to school with my my jeans pegged. If God had said, why are you doing that? I would say, I'm trying to create an image. What kind of image are you trying to create, he would ask. (laughs) A cool one. 
Yeah. I looked back on a photo of that the other day as I was processing through being a high school graduate 20 years ago this year that I was like, oh no, did I do that? I did. The jackets that we've worn, the teams that we root for, the television shows that we watch or binge, the stranger things that we enjoy or the this is us that we cry to, all creates an image, right? It's an image that we're creating during the week. How we go to work, what we do while we're at work, the language that we use while we're doing work or while we're at home, the activities that we participate in, the cars that we drive, the houses that we own, the way in which we parent our children or that we choose to grandparent our children is all definitive on the image that we're trying to create in the world that is around us. Image is important. Image is everything. So if we're going to ask the question, why did God create this? And then that's going to lead us into the question of why did he create me? Then I have to ask the question of what image am I trying to live out in the six days of work during my week? I can't answer that for you, but I know that the weeks that are the most successful for me, the weeks where I know that I am actually doing something that is worth something, are not the weeks that I look in the mirror and say, who do I look like and do I like that person? They're the weeks that I look into scripture and say, what does he look like and how do I become more like him? They're the weeks that start with me opening his word and saying, if your word says that I reflect your image. Jesus, I need you to find it in me because I'm not sure where it is today and I need a little bit of a bigger dose of your image. Would you give that to me so that I could be a dad like you are a dad? So that I could be a brother like you are a brother? So that I could be a husband like you would want me to be a husband like you say that the church is your bride? So teach me as a man in my scenario how to reflect your image instead of looking at the world around me that continues to create fake versions of that same image and say, but this is good enough. Because that's really the temptation that came after seven days, right? There's a tree of knowledge and good and evil in this garden where we've been created in the context of a story that says here, be the image bearers of God himself. And so the attack comes at us of saying, yeah, but how do you know you're his image? Here, eat from this fruit. This will give you the same knowledge of the one who created you so you can know how to look, how to act, how to talk without having to go to him anymore because you'll be equal with him. That's the attack of the demon, of the enemy we call him the devil or Satan. His attack was, go eat this tree. God put it here because he knew that you would want to. But we know, if we look at this story on a grand scheme of things, that God put the tree there because he didn't want to force us into his image. He wanted us to choose his image. And without choice, how do I choose? It's a really simple answer as to why there's sin and brokenness and hate and all of these things in the world is that love demands that there has to be a relationship and a relationship has to have a choice. My wife had to choose me. I had to choose her. And if there weren't other options, is it really a choice? 
If it's survival and says, well, this is the only way that we can function, is in relationship with the Creator, then is it really a choice? And so God placed in the garden an opportunity for us to choose whether or not we wanted to live in the image of Him or we wanted to live in the images of ourselves trying to portray something equal to Him. And He gave us a tree in the story. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Until then, we don't know the difference. Do we even want to know? Thousands of years later, we would all probably raise our hand and go, hey, can we go back? Because we don't want to know. The evil's just too great. There's just too much. Can we, can we please go back and not know about that? Can, that? can that not exist anymore? Because it was stronger and more powerful and more devastating than we could have imagined But humanity chose. And we've been making choices in our lives ever since. I could have not chosen in second grade. I could have chosen differently. I could have chosen image of God versus image of me. So it's not Adam and Eve's fault. We don't get to put the burden of all humanity on them. I'm pretty sure that in the same situation, I'm there too. You mean I could know everything? Pick me. I'm in. I would love to know everything and have the power to make everyone else do everything that I say. That sounds terrible when you say that out loud. It is terrible. I don't want that burden. I don't want that role. But yet I do inside on my daily six days. Do I begin my day reaching out to the one who said, in my image I created you. Go, subdue the land, enjoy the animals, name them if you want to. Enjoy the sunset and the sunrise. Work throughout the day and find your joy in it. Because God found joy in the work that he accomplished in those six days. He finished, and whatever he calls that day, he finished each one of them going, this is good. Can you relate? Those days where you come home and your husband or your wife says, how was your day? And you go, it was good. Like, I did these three things. It felt good today. I got through to that student or that coworker wasn't doing stupid things again. It was awesome. We made money today. The harvest came in. We won the game. Like, some days are just play games, right? Like, I had the lowest score on the golf course, win. Some days are a win, and we go, oh, it was a good day. But for a lot of us, good days only come on vacation. Good days come when we've taken an absence from the daily, and we've created this fake reality around us that we call vacation. That we take away his adventure and we go, how was your week? It was great. What did you do last week? I didn't work. I went away. I took a break. We did a staycation. We went on a trip. Our family got away. And we start to tell stories about these moments in time where we took a break from reality. That's not what we were created for. We were created to do good in the context of both the vacation and the reality. The key aspect is found in chapter 2 of Genesis where it says, Then, in verse 1, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. 
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all of his work he had done in creation. Here's the interesting aspect of why this seventh day lands where it lands and where all the creation story in seven days come together. God had six days that he could have created man. He could have created man on day one and showed him how to separate darkness from light. He could have created him on day two or three or four and said, this, this is earth. These are birds. Here's how to make a tree. Here's what we do with land. He didn't create us for any of that. Here are animals. Here's how you, he created everything without walking us through a tutorial on how to create anything that's in this world. He waited and spoke spoke us into existence right before he taught us how to rest. Because he knew that was the thing we were going to give up on the quickest. We were spoken into existence before Sabbath intentionally because the first thing that our creator, the author of the story, wanted us to see was how to walk with him in a day where we didn't have any other pressure to try to perform for him or to create for him or to manage his world for him. He said, I'll speak you into existence and when you wake up tomorrow, we're just going to spend the whole day together. This is going to be us. These are the seven days of creation. I'll make all of this stuff. You're probably going to make stuff. But in all of that, that is less important than you starting your life with resting in him so that you can work on his behalf. The author Mike Breen, who wrote this book called Building a Discipling Culture, says that in all of creation, one of the most important mandates is that we work from rest, but we flipped it and we rest from work. Can you relate? Have you ever felt like you have to earn your weekend? Or you have to take work home with you? Because in those six days that we worked, I'll take a Sabbath if I've earned it. Instead of, without a Sabbath, I can't earn it next week. Without rest, without the key aspect of us living in tune with God on what that seventh day reflects, we can't create in the same way that God is investing in us and asking us to create. And here's the kicker. We live in 2017 in the biggest mess we've seen in a long time. So when I wake up on Monday and I enter into any culture or world context or church context, I have a bigger mess than I've seen in a really long time, and the world is looking to us. Are we unified? Are we patriotic? Are we unified and patriotic? Do we stand on behalf of women? Do we stand against women? Do we go to war? Do we stop war? Are we for this? Are we for that? Monday mornings on a spiritual level are a war. The church isn't winning because the church is entering the war exhausted. We're already so tired that when someone asks us, what do we think about this political topic or that political topic or if we're going to stand or kneel or kneel to stand or stand while we kneel, we're like, I don't know. It's just all crazy. Why? Because we've been robbed of rest. 
And rest does not reflect those college days of our lives where we just slept until 2 o'clock in the afternoon and then we got up, played some games, and then went back to sleep. That's not the model of rest that God is giving us in his seven days of creation. He is giving us the model on the seventh day that it says that he awoke Adam and Eve in the morning and he would call out to them. Adam, Eve, where are you? Are you here? I love that he would call out to them in the morning when he was in the garden because his belief is wherever they had fallen asleep was in a different place than he had seen them the day before, which means they were working and exploring in his kingdom. I love that. I love that God is coming into the garden going, Adam, Eve, where are you? And he's, he's saying this with the belief that I'm not going to go to the same tree that you slept at last night because my kingdom is so beautiful. This garden is so amazing. I believe that you've probably adventured in it and you guys have hung up some kind of Eno hammock in some other tree and you've fallen asleep tonight because this place is so amazing. Where are you this morning? And I love that in my own life, I can wake up every morning and God is calling out to me going, hey, Chris, hey, where are you? Where are you this morning? Did you get lost? Are you where I left you? Did you move forward? Did you move back? And that we have a God who says on a day of rest, he will come to us in that morning and say, good morning, where are you? Because in John's interpretation of the creation story, He says in verse 4, the light enters the darkness and the darkness has never overcome it. So he says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word was with God in the beginning. And the Word was the light, the light of man and the light entered the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So what John is saying is, you want the creation story? Here it is. In six days we created everything. On the seventh day we teach you to rest. After rest, people messed up. When people messed up, darkness came in. And when darkness came in, he had promised from the very beginning that he would send light into the darkness day one of creation story oh yeah i'm the god who creates light in darkness so he wakes us up on the sabbath morning and says where are you don't forget i'm the light that enters darkness and the darkness has never overcome me do you need me here i am in my image do you need me i love that because there are some mornings that i wake up and i can't find him i need him to find me And there are some mornings that I wake up a little more lost than I thought I was going to be on this adventure. And I hear his voice and I remember that he says, I will call out and even if one gets lost, I will leave the 99 to go find that one. And I remember that that's the story that he created. was not a story just about a land and some water and skies and suns and moons. It was a story about us and how one mistake in that creation story did not define us because he had already created a story where he wins. So when I'm in second grade, I have no idea that I'm meeting my future youth minister, partner in ministry, guy who's going to invite me to do youth ministry for life. Interestingly, when I was here growing up, you had the grace to let me stand on this stage from elementary school through high school and practice my storytelling and my preaching on you on Sundays. So I'm sorry for whatever that mess probably was. And thank you. Because in that season, I thought, I'm just going to be the senior minister of a church. Like, that's all I want. 
I want Ben's job for life. And then I went to college and I got a job as a camp coordinator for a YMCA. I was the games director for the summer. My job, play football, soccer, and dodgeball with 212-year-olds through 5-year-olds every week throughout the summer. It was amazing. I got to hit kids with dodgeballs. I was like, I want a profession of this. So I was like, I should switch to youth ministry because you get to hit kids with dodgeballs in youth ministry a lot. Now they have these things called bazooka balls where they take paintball guns and put Nerf balls in the end of them and they let students shoot those at each other. It's pretty cool. Or you can put in big inflatable bubbles on and hit each other. There's just something very aggressive about students and kingdom. And I left that summer camp and I called my former youth minister and said, hey, I don't think I'm supposed to work with adults. I think I'm supposed to work with students. Can I intern for you? And he said, you're not going to believe this. I was at a conference this weekend, and I had this little yellow piece of paper, and I was writing down all the things that God might be doing in Xenia, Ohio, and I wrote on the side of the paper, call Chris Cox about an internship. And so I interned, became the youth minister. For eight years, I was in youth ministry there. Then I left for this organization called Back to Back Ministries, a global orphan care organization. And I was like, I don't do orphan care. I do youth ministry. We were only in Mexico at the time. I've studied Latin, Hebrew, and Greek, and we're in Mexico. Yeah, like, no hablo anything. That was me. Like, even if this is God's story, he could have whispered to me as a freshman in high school, hey, you're going to need Spanish later. Go to that class instead of Latin. And it would have really helped me out. Thanks, God. And I end up in this organization that does global orphan care. And for the last nine years, I've been partnering churches in Cincinnati and Dayton with our global orphan care ministry. And so they come to us and their students find Jesus. And, and I invest in their student ministry leadership structure. And they start to expand and grow and new students come in. And then when they're ready, they say, we want to go on mission. And so then they join us in one of these countries on a mission trip. And then the circle of giving just keeps just continuing to go until this past year. And this past year, our director, Todd, came to me and said, hey, you know, um, we do international orphan care, right? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I think so. I hope so. You're in charge. Um, he's like, I don't know that it's supposed to only be international anymore. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I think, I think we're supposed to do orphan care in urban contexts of American cities. Youth ministry for impoverished youth in urban contexts. I think what you've been doing with 121 has been to position us to be able to take our orphan care principles and your youth ministry background and for us to go into impoverished contexts of cities and help them break the cycle of poverty. And I was like, hey, could you write back to that high school kid in Maysville, Kentucky and tell him that in 17 years... He would be the director of back-to-back -back Cincinnati in this urban context doing orphan care and that, like not preaching at a church because you're probably going to blow his mind. But that's my story. Is that this year we're launching as an organization back-to-back -back Cincinnati where we bring 
our holistic care principles of orphan care that we've been doing around the world. We're going to invest that into a city where one in three children live below the poverty line. Most high schools have a 2.3% college readiness when they graduate high school. Every student, 2.3% of the students are ready for college when they graduate a, high sc- a public high school in Cincinnati. I end with that story because if I was writing my own image into the story that I wanted to tell, it's not this one. But because light enters into the darkness and the darkness has never overcome it and because of this invitation to rest in the story of God and to walk with Him, He said, I know you better than you know yourself, my son. Come with me on this new journey. And my guess would be, whether you're 16 in this room or 76, He's ready to walk with you this morning too. And say, we're not done yet. We're just getting started. Will you rest so that we can work? Or are you so exhausted from working that you don't believe you have any time to rest? This morning we get to start over. And that's why these sermons transition into this thing called communion, right? It's how we close together. It's how we live. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to commune together in the remembrance that the creation story is all about Jesus who writes stories for us that are different than our own stories. That we're going to partake in this body and blood that aren't really the body and blood of Jesus, right? Like this is, this is why this whole thing is about story, is that Jesus stood up on a night and said, just in case you get lost, just in case you've been working so hard that you've gotten away from me, just in case you feel alone and you don't feel like we are the image of God anymore, just in case you don't believe that you've been creating anything of worth in my kingdom, I want you, when you come and you rest, I want your part of rest to be a reminder that in your rest you will be led to think about your brokenness. Don't be broken. And Jesus on that day with his disciples, he broke the bread and said, let me be broken. So this morning I want to encourage you, don't be broken. Let him be broken again. And then he held up the cup and he said, this is my blood, it's poured out for you. So yours doesn't have to be. And you don't have to shed each other's. So when you feel like the only way to protect your story is to protect your blood, which means maybe distancing yourself or hurting someone else's. Let him be poured out so that we can be reconciled with one another. Rest in that. He'll be broken so that you don't have to. He'll be poured out so that we don't have to. He'll bring us rest and invite us to join him where he is by finding us in the story where we are. And from that place, we get to go into the next seven days. Find rest this morning. I'll pray. We'll serve you the communion emblems. And as those are served to you, find rest in who Jesus promises to be. Let's pray. Jesus, 
You are the Logos, you are the Word, and through, the, through your mouth the Word was created. Through you, Father, Son, and Spirit, we understand your image as one and three, that we get to be unified and together even though there are unique characteristics to each one of us in this room. I pray that we find you in the story and know that all of creation led to us being in your image and with you. And I pray that you give us rest. First and foremost, give us rest through your body and blood that was poured out for us so that we could be redeemed and know you, Jesus. And second, give us rest from the burden that we've been carrying so that we can see your kingdom and know your story and take it on your behalf into the things that you want us to create this week. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.